The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So Ecclesia, first, just let me tell you, I love being on the west side. I don't know if you've figured it out yet, but there's something really special here happening at this campus, and uh, you could definitely see it last night. We have two services again on the weekends here. We kicked off our Saturday night service last night, and we had a full house, and it was really exciting, and we had burgers and hot dogs afterwards. Uh, so if you're ever in the position, just know that Saturday night can be a lot of fun. We're going to have college football games on afterwards from time to time. We're just gonna really enjoy some community time after those services, because it works really well, and it's gonna get even better uh, when it cools down. As I told you, I have a really important sermon, and I can't really get to the sermon part unless I give you some context. Uh, so I'm gonna try to give you some context, and then you'll kinda know when I kick into real, hopeful sermon mode. And I'm gonna talk almost auctioneer fast, because I got a lot to share with you, and um, and I have to go do it downtown right after this. So I, I grew up in a context, and some of you can relate, um, that was a bit legalistic. We weren't as legalistic as the other people, like the conservative Baptists were way more legalistic, and that some of the women had to wear buns in their hair, and they couldn't go to the movies at all. Um, they, there was a lot they were prohibited from doing. Uh, we generally listened to somewhat normal music, but then every now and then we'd have a rock and roll seminar come through and we'd burn all our albums. And, uh, and we'd give it up for a little while, right? And then we'd realize, like, I burned an REO Speedwagon double album. Like, that costs so much to replace, and now I want it back, right? And we'd waste a lot of money replacing all the albums we burned because we realized it was a bit ridiculous. And what I learned growing up in that context was um, that that kind of legalism, it doesn't work. It creates the kind of Christianity where the people that are trying their best, that really are like, I want to do it, I want to do it well, they, they, get, they never feel like they're good enough. And you keep trying and you keep trying and you try to keep the rules and you want to so bad, but part of what happens, it's a little bit like Simone Biles at the Olympics a few years ago, right? You remember how she, she got the yips, right? And literally, the best gymnast in the world couldn't do the basics anymore because she got so uptight that it was like the pressure was too much. And that kind of Christianity creates that kind of pressure. And the pressure doesn't serve you well, and it's not an environment for grace. And I found it didn't work for the people that were imposing the rules. And by the way, the rules kept coming, right? You'd come up with new rules all the time. Um, and when you were imposing the new rules, you were trying, if you had the best intentions, to protect and to keep people away. But what happens when you impose rules, you know it, right? If you got your parent, you've figured it out already. The more rules you have, the more motivated you are to break the rules, right? So the story I've told forever, it's the most clear example I've ever had. When I was six, in sixth grade, uh, my best friend Chris McGriff and I asked for bow and arrows. For Christmas. It's all we wanted, a bow and arrow, like a real bow and arrow that you could shoot something with, right? And we were both super excited on Christmas Day. We got our bow and arrows and we were ready to go out into the woods and just shoot stuff with our bow and arrows. And his mother said words that almost changed our lives forever. Just as we walked out the door, she said, boys, there will be no flaming arrows. We hadn't thought of flaming arrows. Literally, it had never occurred to us that flaming arrows were an option. From that moment on, all we could think about were flaming arrows. And there were flaming arrows. We almost burned down all of Atascacita because his mom said, don't do it, right? Which by nature made us want to do it. And that kind of Christianity, when you're like, don't do this, and don't do this, 
and don't do this. It brings out the worst in you, right? You heard the apostle Paul, right? What did he say? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Because the rules just, and, and they, it doesn't work. That kind of faith, it, it doesn't work. And then I started to figure out at a somewhat young age that there are the 10 commandments. Like, by the way, I'll preach on them sometimes. They're really important and they're kind of hard lines. Okay, like don't kill, don't commit adultery. There's, don't lie, tell the truth. Like there's, there's these rules. And then there's other things in life that are very much based on who you are and the situation and place you're in, right? So one of the real common ones in the New Testament it keeps coming up over and over again. It's often about what people eat or don't eat. And there were a lot of reasons. There were health reasons. There were also religious reasons. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians, there's this whole back and forth, right? In 1 Corinthians 8, because some people just liked any meat. They were like, and they didn't care. Some of the best meat was offered in pagan temp- temples to, uh, as, as an offering to pagan gods. They had a barbecue in front of these, one of these uh, like idols. He said, but this knowledge is not in everyone. He was saying, some can eat it and some can't. It depends on who you are. Up until now, Some have been so familiar with idols and what goes on in the temples that when they eat meat that's been offered to some idol, their weak conscience is polluted, right? And we'll just pull it down. I'll summarize it for you. Then he says, other people, they don't care. They know God made the meat and we're going to eat the meat. We're going to eat the best meat. We're going to enjoy it, right? And, And it was different for different people. Some people just felt in their core, this isn't right. Isn't it interesting? That so much of life, like we can hear all of that. In Romans 14, it says it this way, and I think it's said really well. Here's the issue. One, police, one person believes that nothing's off the menu. How many of you are like that? Like, I eat anything. I will eat it all. I've eaten camel meat, uh, snakes, you name it. I'll eat it, right? At least once. It may not be good to eat again, but I'll try it. He'll eat any food put before him. But there's another believer, we call him the weaker, who eats only vegetables, Right? Now, you heard it from me. It's in the Bible. If you're a vegetarian, you've got weak faith. Your, your faith is weak. I don't, know what to, I don't know why your faith is so weak, but it is. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, that's on you, right? The Bible also says, Paul told Timothy, he said, drink some wine. It's good for your stomach. If you don't, you don't believe the Bible, right? This is where the Baptist in me, like people are like, what? Did the Bible said to drink wine? What are we going to do, right? Again, you're not really that weak, you, but, but hear it, hear the difference. For you, that's the right thing to do. For me, not the right thing to do. Anybody remember being in seventh grade and re, you re, did they make you read that book, The Jungle? You remember? It was a Chicago meat factory. Am I the only one that had to read this? I thought it was like required reading forever. Right? And, and literally after, after the book, you were like, I wish I had never read that book. I don't wanna know any of that stuff. Right? It's literally how the sausage is made, right? And we don't want to know how the sausage is made. And there are some of us, there's for good reason, in your conscience, how many of you are these like, I will never eat a hot dog? Like, that's just not a thing for me. I'm not a hot dog person. There are a few of you, like, just at your core, you're like, that's not my thing. There's some of us like me that I'm like, I'm at the ballpark. I got kind of a two hot dog limit, right? Like after two hot dogs, I don't feel so good, right? Anybody else like it doesn't like you're probably not made to eat more than than two hot dogs. I was at a seafood place recently and I'm eating like lobster bisque and the worst thing was on TV ever. They were showing the hot dog eating contest while I'm trying to eat, right? 
Now I can tell you, like, I don't know whose conscience says it's good to eat 62 hot dogs. Like, I don't know whose conscience says that. The, the truth is most of life is like this. Some things may be right for you, not right for me. 62 hot dogs, not right for me. That wouldn't be good. My friend Tim Bassanio, when I go to dinner with him, he'll say to me, like, I don't understand how you can have one glass of wine. Like, I don't get it. He says, if I had one, I would have 14. I just can't stop, right? And so for him to have one glass, it would not be good for him. He's made differently, you understand? And so much of life, we can go on and on, right? How many of you have to restrict when and where you will have like a Coca-Cola or a soda or something, right? Like I'm a movies only person. I'll, I'll have Coke at the movies. But if I start having it with regular meals, I'll be like I was in college where I'm just drinking Dr. Pepper nonstop, right? And it wouldn't be good for me. It wouldn't. So I have to have restrictions around it because for me, I can't handle it otherwise. Now, hear this. This is what life is like. And this is what I wonder. What if all the energy that we took in Christian life, to focus on the rules. Who's keeping the rules? And are you keeping the rules? And we're watching other people and trying. What if we focused all of that inwardly and it was entirely focused on listening to our own conscience? Because this is what I believe is unique about Christianity. The Spirit of God lives in you and guides you. So the truth is, and I've, I've, I've asked this to many Ecclesians, how often do you look back at the big mistakes that you made in life and you went, that inner voice in me told me not to go there? I, my experience is it's 99% of the time that if we had just listened to that voice that we believe is the Spirit of God, that we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have made the mistakes, we would have not done something or we would have done something that we didn't do because we would have listened. The, the um, Adam Smith says this, he says, what, what can be added to the happiness of a man who is in health or a woman, in health, out of debt, and has a clear conscience? I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, there is something beautiful about a clear conscience. One, one quote, I think it may be Glenn Campbell or somebody, there's no one sleeps on a better pillow than the person with a clear conscience. When you get a clear conscience, you sleep well at night. Stephen Wright says it, I think is a joke, but I think it's true. He says a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. <laughs> but there's some truth in it, right? Part of having a clear conscience is giving yourself permission to actually forget and let go of your mistakes. So we're going to get to the sermon part now. That was all background, by the way. That was context. Rochelle asked a question last week in her sermon that I thought was really important. And um, I got to do what I don't often get to do. And when I watched her preach, I got to listen to her preach and I got to watch all of you. And this is what she said last week. She said, there are many of you here that have no problem believing in the miracles of the Bible. You believe Jesus walked on water. You, you believe that he healed people. You believe that he died and was resurrected in three days. You believed he turned water into wine. You have no trouble believing any of those things, but you profoundly struggle to believe that that same God loves you. And I watched, I don't get to do this very often. I watched and I watched your faces and people went, yeah, yeah. And my experience is 
that that's almost all of us. I remember about 15 years ago when a book came out um, that shared the personal writings of Mother Teresa. And most of us assume, like, if anybody's feeling like they crushed it in life, it's Mother Teresa, right? I mean, you're at the end of your life and you're like, I only had one life and I did pretty good. Like, I did pretty good. And what we learned about Mother Teresa in this book and this sharing of her personal journal and writings was that over and over again, she struggled, like I believe you and I struggle, to believe that God actually loved her. She wrote to one of her priest's friends who was a spiritual mentor, and she said this. She said, Jesus has a very special love for you. This is often what we're able to do. We can see that God loves other people. She said, as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and do not hear. Let's see, if Mother Teresa didn't always believe that God loved her, and my guess is a lot of us share the same struggle. And my belief is that if we're living in this space, that something in our head is saying, you're not good enough. You, you did something wrong. You, you don't measure up. That you're not living in the world God made for you. So that's the background. Now I'm going to get to the sermon. We're in a series where we're celebrating the voices and the stories of women. So let me tell you what I've gotten to do this summer. And by the way, have you enjoyed the amazing women preachers that we've had preaching here this summer? Have they been a gift? We are, we are richly, richly blessed with some great preachers in our context. And my role in it has been, I want to highlight stories both from the Bible and from church history and current theologians. So what I did is I went on Amazon and I ordered uh, books from uh, female theologians. Because when I was in seminary, we didn't read a lot of female theologians. And so I've ordered, I've got a stack of books and I'm just going through them. And here's the bad news. This series could literally last 10 years. We could keep going. Like there's so much. But along the way, every now and then you get a book that just, like everything changes. And so one of the theologians that I ordered several books from uh, was a lady named Rita Nakashima Brock. And uh, Rita was born in Japan. Um, she's a fabulous theologian. She actually lives in Dallas, Texas. Now, I'm not a Dallas fan, but, you know, um, it's okay. I feel sorry for her. But um, she should be in Houston. I like her a lot. She's brilliant. And she, um, she wrote a few books, and one of them, uh, is about uh, soul repair, and it's about a, a subject called moral injury. It's a new term that's been introduced in the last seven or eight years. And when I read this book, I said, I think this is the reason most of us struggle to believe God loves us. And the reason I feel so much pressure around this sermon, and by the way, it's really become two sermons, so next week's gonna be part two of the same sermon, is that I believe that if we grasp some of what Rita Nakashima Brock is talking about, that we would actually begin to live in a space that we all believe that God loved us. And I think if I was a part of a community where everybody lived in the space, we're like, yeah, oh yeah, God loves me. God absolutely loves me. That we would start to follow God in some new ways and we would share that love in really abundant ways. So this is what she says. She talks about, and this book is primary called Soul Repair. It's primarily focused on combat veterans but it applies to all of us. And this is what she says. There are many people, like people that have been to war, that end up in a place that they experience what she calls moral injury. And this is what moral injury is. It's acting in a way 
that's not congruent with your core beliefs. It's violating your conscience. And so what happens when you go to war, sometimes because somebody tells you to do something, you actually do something that contributes to the death of a civilian or a child, right? And what happens when you go to war and you act in a way that doesn't hold true to who you believe you're supposed to be and what you believe is right, something flips in your head and then you start to tell yourself, God doesn't love me or even worse, God hates me. And I don't measure up and I'm not good enough. And this is what I believe, Ecclesia, that you don't actually have to just go to war to experience. She talks about that moral injury is like a fracture kind of an injury. And this is what I would say, is that we all live with these micro fractures. Moments that we look back on our life and we go, I believe something to be right and I didn't live that way. Maybe you were put in a tough position. Maybe you're in the medical field. Maybe you were just Foolish, you just made a mistake. But what many of us do is we hold on to that and we let it define our identity and we struggle then to accept and feel and believe God's love. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, I wanna live in a community where people believe that God loves them. I think it's a core value of real Christianity. So this week, I'm gonna invite you into a precursor of what we're gonna talk about next week uh, that's about how do we do the kind of repair to that fracture? And I'm not giving you a long list of things because I don't want to be the one to prompt you in this. Do you understand what I'm like? This is the key. It's not that you do something that I believe to be wrong. It's that you do something that you believe to be wrong. This is not about, I wonder what somebody else thinks of me. This, this is at the core of my conscience. I believe this is the right way to live. And I didn't live that way. And that may be different for some of us, right? It's like, there's certain things you could spend a lot of money on. And some, somebody else would go, I could never spend that much money on that. It, to me, it doesn't feel right, right? And the truth is, we're just made in different spaces. And, and that's okay. What we have to do is listen to our own conscience. Some of us may have been in a place that you, even one time you talked to a waitress or a waiter in a way that you went, that doesn't reflect who I am. And if I think back on it, I'm actually ashamed of the way I spoke to them. And something in you says, then, then you start to doubt, am I that person or not? Who am I going to be? So I wanna invite you into a journey that over the next two weeks that we try to do those repairs and we live in a healthy space. So today, in order to get ready for that, I've got four things uh, that I wanna share with you and I gotta do these really fast. So here's the first one and it's the simplest and probably you've already figured it out. Listen to your inner voice. God lives in you. Almost any situation you face, God will guide and direct you. You're not left alone. And if you listen to that inner voice, basically what I would tell you is know thyself and listen. Your conscience has created a path for you. And God has told you, hey, this is how I want you to live. And it's imprinted in your soul. And if you will listen and go, hey, I don't think that's for me. Or I think I'm supposed to do that. How many, how many times have you been prompted to do something kind and you didn't act on it? And you look back and go like, I knew I was supposed to do that. Why didn't I do it? If we just listen to that inner voice, I'll tell you, so much will go wrong. And then in that, do your best, try not to act out of anger or a place that you've maybe not been in the best headspace, right? So if you're under the influence, 
uh, of something or you're really tired or you're tired, drunk and angry. Don't try not to make a decision then, right? It probably won't go well. So to say, like, I'm going to be really thoughtful about the things I do and making a decision out of a good space. Then secondly, let's be a people that are not afraid to face our failures. If you'll face your failures and go, hey, these are the, pla- these are the places in my life that I've failed. Part of what I love that Rochelle shared last week is that she made really clear that she's a part of this community of people, this circle of other women. And in that circle, they've shared like their deepest, darkest regrets and pains. And she said, I've never felt more loved than in that circle of people. Now, I got to tell you, my experience at Ecclesia is just that. We have many small groups where people share their life stories and people will often call me the night before and be like, hey, uh, Pastor Chris, can I share like the PG-13 version of my life story? And I'll go, hey, don't. You're gonna miss out on something really meaningful. Because what happens is people get to these places in their stories that they believe if I tell people what I've done, if I show people who I am, what I've learned is most people believe that the people in their small group are gonna get up and throw over the chairs and be like, you disgust me, right? And they're gonna walk out of the room. That's what happens in their head. You know what I've seen happen in the room when it happens, when they get to the dark places in their story? Every time the chairs get closer together, people scoot towards that person. They often put their hand on them in a way that says like, hey, I'm not leaving you. And strangely, when we walk through that, we often look at them and go, I feel more bonded to you now. And I'm a little bit relieved, like you're more messed up than me and that makes me feel a lot better. And maybe you're not, but you're equally messed up. And together, we can do something together. I got to tell you, Ecclesia, if we will face our micro fractures, and over this week, I'm just going to ask you to look back on your life and go, when are the times I acted in a way that doesn't fit my conscience? And then we're going to do what Rita Nakashima Brock recommends in soul repair. Um, So face our failures, be real. Thirdly, Let's be a people that celebrate God's love. If you want to feel loved by God, you've got to do what you would do in a romance. You've got to do what you would do in a marriage. You've got to celebrate anniversaries, find every reason. One of the best things happening in my life is that God has given me an amazing partner. And you know what we do? We celebrate it all the time. Now we have put on the pounds to reflect that celebration because every meal is a celebration and it's a gift. And we go, hey, this is really, really beautiful. But if you believe God loves you, you gotta come into worship with some passion and some energy. And you gotta come in and worship and say, thank you, God, that you have been good to me. And you gotta pray in a way that says, God, I am, I am so blessed that you love me. And you gotta communicate with the God that loves you, right? If you will celebrate that love, that will be a gift. And one of the best ways to do it is in community. And so I wanna invite you, the, the, the Ecclesia staff has done something they've never done as well as this before, but they've created a portal. And this is what we've learned. We fit, we've been listening to you. And we know all your excuses and you got a million of them for why you don't connect or why you don't serve. And they're really good. And sometimes you don't want to overcommit. And so literally, if I asked you to do something on Tuesday night, you'd be like, hey, I'll let you know Tuesday morning, right? Because I don't want to commit too far out. I don't know what's going to happen, right? And I get it. It's part of it. So this is what we're asking you to do. Not to, we're just looking for the fall. We're saying in the fall. And, and what they've done is they've created a menu. And you can scan this QR code. You've got a card. Literally, we've given everyone a really beautiful card. Uh, that has that QR code on it, you can take it with you. And it's the simplest place we've ever had where you can go and you can find a place both to connect and to serve. Some are really simple. Come help at the barbecue to feed the homeless. Come serve with the kids once a month. 
be a part of a dinner group that meets once a month. They're just really simple. But I gotta tell you, if you want to live into God's love and reflect the fact that God loves you, you've got to connect in these ways and celebrate that love and enter into the beauty of it. So thirdly, celebrate God's love. Fourthly, and this is the service part that you'll find there, you gotta share God's love. We're made to receive that love and to send it out. Now, one of the most meaningful things, Josue talked to you about it, that I've gotten to do is to sit in this room this week. The, the wraparound specialist from the HISD that he's talking about, do you know what that job is? It's kind of a weird title. Their job is to care for the poorest students at each of these schools. And um, which in HISD is a lot of students. And guess how many resources they've been given to care for those students? Almost none, right? So the, the story Rochelle told at one of the services last week, and I don't think she told you, is she worked in an HISD school. And this is an example. And by the way, I made some commitments for us this week, so I need you to back my play. Um, these HISD specialists sat in the room, and this is what I told them. If you've got a real need, we want to hear about it, and we want to help. This is the story Rochelle told from her uh, school in HISD last year, that there was a kid that wasn't showing up to school for about a week, they couldn't figure out what was going on. Somebody went to the house that they were supposed to live in and they'd been evicted. They didn't live there anymore. And the wraparound specialist said, I gotta find this family. Now, I don't know how you find a family that you can't find, but somehow this family, she found them living in their car on the side of the road. And she called Rochelle and some of the teachers and said, I found them, they're living on the side of the road. I don't have any resources to do anything. I have enough money to get them a hotel room for one night, right? And Rochelle said, she said, oh, well, don't worry about it. Like, my church will pay for the next week, right? And Sean went like, I don't have the authority to do that. How did you get to do that, right? And, and Rochelle just knew, like, my church will do that because that's who we are. We're going to do it. And you know what? Then the church paid for a week, and then their small group paid for a week, and another person in the small group paid for the next week. And over three weeks in a hotel, the wraparound specialist had enough resources to then find a way to put them in a, a housing situation in an apartment. And they're stable, and they're strong, and they're doing well. So when the wraparound specialist sat here, I told him, if you got something like that, our church is going to figure it out. Now, we don't have an unlimited budget, but I got to tell you, Ecclesia, we can't turn those things down. That's a part of sharing God's love. And those investments matter. So we got people on the front lines. That's what they're doing. And we want to help them. So hear me. I believe what I'm going to share with you next week and these simple steps. Again, listen to that inner voice. Face your own failures. We all have them. There's nobody here. Anybody here like, I pretty much crushed it my whole life. Like I really, I'm feeling a lot like Jesus. Is there anybody? Because I'd like to know who they are and I could emulate you. Good. You've got a few years to do it. That's good. <laughs> By the time you're 13, you won't feel that way, but I'm glad you do right now. Right? Most of us are in this place. So we go, yeah, I, I, I'm not always nailed it. And what you need to know is that you're not different than anybody else and that God profoundly loves you. So next week, let me tell you the things. These are the steps to soul repair. I'm gonna tell you really fast and then Ryan's gonna lead us through communion. This is part of what you're gonna hear. When you face the places of moral injury that you failed, you acknowledge and you recognize it. Think about this week, where have I failed? You, you, you share it. In a safe group, you tell your story, you share it in a way that helps bring healing. You, you experience and receive validation and affirmation. People go, oh, you're not crazy. I've made that mistake too, right? You grieve and you mourn. The place you go, I wish I'd have been a better parent. I wish I'd have kept the vow that I, I made a vow and I didn't keep it. You may have had good reasons, but you grieve it. 
You, you seek reconciliation and forgiveness wherever it's possible. You experience a spiritual renewal. You recommit to God to go, God, I'm going to listen to your voice. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live the life you made for me to live. And you engage in community and you find connection. That's the point we're inviting you into this week. And then you engage in rituals and ceremonies like the one we're about to, communion. Communion is this place you come and you went, God loves me. Every week you hear, God loves me. And then you advocate, you create social change. You use what you've been through to make the world a better place. And then lastly, you integrate what you've learned into a transformed life. Our mistakes make us better people. I've told you before, there's nobody sitting around going, I'm a great person, a great Christian, because I've spent my life eating chocolate cake. Like, chocolate cake will teach you nothing. Adversity will teach you something. Pain will teach you something. And you'll draw closer to God through it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.